This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. When most customers don't want to answer their phones, how are retailers supposed to stay connected? Avoiding spam filters in email and even phone calls requires more time than anyone has time for. So how do local businesses break through when the phones stop ringing? The answer is to use mobile phones differently by driving sales and appointments through text messaging. Join host of Retail Retold, Chris Ressa, with marketing and CX expert, Jay Bear and Logan Wooden from Podium on January 13th to learn how you can drive retail sales with text messaging. Sign up today at bit.ly slash Podium Retail to learn how to create your most effective customer messaging strategy yet. That's bit.ly slash Podium Retail to join us on January 13th. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I am joined by Thomas Allen. Thomas is the CEO and founder of Practice Real Estate Group and Practice Transition Group. I'm excited for him to be here. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thomas, tell everybody a little bit more about who you are and what Practice Real Estate Group and Practice Transition Group does. Yeah, so I'm Thomas Allen. I live here in Austin, Texas, born and raised in Texas. Uh, founded Practice Real Estate Group almost eight years ago, and about a year after that, founded Practice Transitions Group. Um, on the real estate side, we exclusively advise healthcare uh, tenants in their where they should open uh, new locations and handle the uh, you know negotiation of the, the the real estate acquisition, whether that be a lease or a purchase for them. Um, we also develop or purchase two or three projects a year alongside our clients or for our clients. Um, and then Practice Transitions Group, we uh, broker the sale of, uh, of healthcare practices. Um, and it's been an awesome business. It's been a lot of, lot of fun. Had a, uh, had a really good year this year. And um, yeah, that's who we are. Okay. What did you do before this? Uh, yeah, so I graduated from uh, college. I went to the University of Texas here in Austin in 2008, which you know was uh, not the best time to be graduating school due to the great financial crisis. And I got a job though working for a uh, high net worth family in Dallas, uh, leasing. Uh, they they own a couple million square feet of kind of class B C retail, mainly in DFW, but quite a bit around the country as well. And I was leasing. Um, their portfolio as one of the in-house leasing uh, team members. Uh, and as I was doing that, the only people that seemed to be uh, leasing space and calling the signs were doctors. And a lot of them were calling without brokers or agents helping them. And uh, so I started exploring what that would look like and uh, found a company that was doing it um, that was a little smaller uh, and joined up with them, and they were actually based in DFW as well, and worked worked for that company for a couple years. And after a couple years, decided I was going to go go out and do this on my own. Um, I saw some opportunities that I wanted to capitalize on, and, and uh, left uh, Dallas and went and started ramping this thing up in Houston and Austin, and I've grown it from there. Excellent. 
So I'm curious a little bit more about your day-to-day. So if I understand this right, on the transition group, you're like, you're helping and consulting and brokering the business operations deals, the medical practices. On the real estate side, you're, 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 you're just making real estate deals, a little simpler. Correct. So we're the, we're, you know, doctors sell their practices. Like they actually have a sellable asset, a lot of them. Um, and right now <clears throat> there's still a ton of doctor to doctor sales. You know, if a doctor's retiring or wanting to move to another city or it's just tired of being a business owner, sometimes they'll sell their practice to another, another doctor. Uh, other times there's, there's a big PE roll-up going on in this world and consolidation, um, especially in the dental and vet side of things. And uh, we are help, we are packaging their business operations, their, their practice up into a concise, pretty easy to read uh, marketing book and, and taking that and shopping it to the different corporate buyers that might be interested in those practices and getting the seller the best deal possible. And then on the on the real estate side, we're ninety five percent tenant rep. Um, you know, helping doctors either renew their lease, start new practices, and we've built our own proprietary in house demographic competition system that can pinpoint where they should open new practices, and we're helping them identify those locations and secure the real estate. We, uh, you know, we this year we'll do about one hundred and twenty. Uh, real estate transactions on behalf of doctors and about half of that is on behalf of startup uh, practices and the other half is you know we'll call them all corporate groups but that can mean they have four locations or we have clients with over 100 locations Um, so we're uh, you know we've got 11 brokers or agents um, on the the real estate team and then on the uh, on the transition side of the business, we have uh, uh, you know three agents and about eight eight seven employees. So uh, we're, we're you know this company started out as just me in 2014, I guess, and uh, you know we're up to 25 people now. It's been it's been a it's been a fun journey. Sounds terrific. Let, let me ask you a little bit more about what's going on in healthcare and healthcare real estate specifically. So I'm curious, 120 deals, what do you think today, how much of those are going into retail properties? About 80% of our business now is going into retail properties. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And we, we, go ahead. And when you first got in the business, what do you think the percentage was of like, of like medical? It, it's grown probably 40, 50%. So I bet it used to be 40% going into retail properties, right? And, and, and uh, or about 50, and then it's grown about 50%, so 75, 80% now. Uh, the only, what's happened is uh, as people have wanted, as, as consumers, I've gotten so used to everything being so convenient and easy on them, these healthcare providers have had to shift and move out uh, to, the, uh, to the population of these growing urban areas. And retail typically offers the best opportunity for that to get in some of these, these growing areas. Um, on top of that, the way people shop, you know, we all shop online. And our theory is, and it's been proven, is that most people are, you know, I need to go see an optometrist or even an ophthalmologist or even an ENT. Like we have an ENT group we work with 
or a dentist or a vet, and I'm going to get online and find out, uh, you know, who takes my insurance or where they're located near me. But I'm also, one thing I'm going to do is if I see the same sign all the time, when I go do that Google search, or I might see that dentist or that vet or that ENT, and I need to go see them, I'm going to Google them and make sure they look legit. But since I've seen them 50 times, that's who I'm going to, you know, lean towards towards going to. So there's still an important part of online presence, but that visibility and access and convenience is, is so key. Um, yeah. To the- so I, what I like to say too, is one of the things we've done some healthcare systems deal, as well as MedTail deals in our properties that we own. And one of the things I like to say all the time is, you know, in the, in the mid two thousands, the healthcare industry basically made a decision that anything that doesn't require an overnight stay, we want out of the hospital. It is too costly to do this. And the second thing we want, we're going to get out of the hospital. We want it to be as close to the consumer as possible and the closest real estate to the consumer is retail real estate. And, and then what have you seen since like 2010 is there's like an urgent care in every shopping center in America now, because that's the, that, that's what healthcare in America wanted to do. So I think that's the other piece of it too. I don't know what you think of that. So, totally agree that from, from the corporate hospital side, the, 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 the cost for delivery of care is definitely a driver. And, and then, you know, the, I say that as we're also still, we're about to purchase a, uh, an office building in Houston and convert it to an MOB. And part of the driver of that is that it is directly across from like a, a super fast growing hospital that has been invested, that's invested $250 million into its growth over the last four years. Um, but even as that happens, uh, there still needs, they want to get some of those services off their campus and, and be more, it's still more convenient for the consumer and the lower cost of care. And so we know that they're about to move all these services off their campus and we're going to be the most convenient building for them. And we're already talking to them and some of the other, uh, affiliated physicians, uh, with the hospital about going in this building. Um, so. Totally, uh, really interesting stuff. And how do you think? And I was educated once, so I'll give you my take. How do you think healthcare fits into the mix of a shopping center with traditional retail and food? What do your healthcare providers think of that? And, and what do you think of that? You know, that's that's a great question. I mean, our healthcare providers, a lot of them that are going into these centers. They love it because they're like, hey, we're going to, we feel like our patients won't mind coming to see us because they can come see us and then hop over and get lunch or do a little shopping or even some of the practices that are focused on kids and maybe more teenagers than kids. Like, hey, mom can drop like an orthodontist. Mom can drop the kid off and and they can they can have the appointment. And mom can go get some, some shopping done. And then some of our clients that are that are kind of on this new age New age of medicine is maybe the wrong way to say it, but custom, consumer experience oriented. You know, we have some clients that are, whether they're dermatologists and they build like these super nice offices and these shopping centers because they feel like the consumer will come in uh, and spend more money if they're in like this really nice setting on the interior. Like they'll spend 250 bucks a foot on their finish out, right? Or we've got dentists that build movie theaters in, in their waiting room and stuff for patients. like. They're actually driving traffic to the shopping center. That's good for the other uh, 
other tenants. The other tenants obviously drive traffic, but then have, you know, mom or dad see the, uh, the healthcare business in the center. Now you, we do still run into, you know, who is it? Ross will always have restrictions on medical and, and so will, we've seen Lowe's have them. So there's still some of these big box stores that'll, that don't see them as beneficial, but um, I would tell you, I would tell you that's, that's not necessarily the case. They just want the leverage because I'm in the waiver business. Um, I, I, I go and get waivers all the time. So I, I, I think there's prevailing sentiment that healthcare belongs in retail centers. Um, I was actually, there was a deal that we did with the healthcare system. They had bought like 30 local mom and pop practices. And then they're like, now we got like 30 leases. How do we consolidate these into one building? So it ended up being a, a, a vacant retail box that I had. And we had, we had, it was a 31,000 foot box and they were bringing all these different things in. They were bringing, there's only like 4,000 virgin care. It was neurology. There was a bunch of stuff because they had bought all these different practices in the marketplace. And I'll never forget at the time, this is in the mid 2000s, the retailer was like, listen, we've got two issues. We usually work with you guys, but we've got two issues. One, sick people don't shop. And two, the parking. And so the head of real estate for the hospital system goes, let me get on the phone with them. And typically we don't do that. We kind of like negotiate both on our own, but she was pretty shy. And I want to get on the phone with this retailer. So she did. And she says, and so she's like, what are, what are your issues, Mr. Retailer? Retailer says, well, sick people don't shop. And she goes, I agree. Guess what? 90% of my customers are healthier than yours. Guaranteed. <laughs> and so that was like enlightening. She was like, you know, it's not just sick people coming. There's people coming for preventative maintenance, wellness, all these things and checkups, physicals. Like they're not just sick. Like that's a misconception. I was like, wow, that that's fascinating. And the second thing was the parking. We ended up setting up. She goes, no problem. If I valet the parking over here, will you agree? And the person was like, yeah. So she did. And so that got solved. It was nine months of me trying to get this. She got on the phone and got it done in like 10 minutes on a call. So it was pretty, pretty crazy. But, but yeah, that, that, that was one of my experiences in the mid 2000s of it. <clears throat> okay. I want to pivot to section we call clear the air. I got three questions for you. You ready? I'm ready. All right, Thomas. What is one skill you don't possess, but wish you did? You know, one thing that I, and this is a skill I can acquire, but I wish, I wish I just had it right now. I wish I was like a, one of those master spreadsheet builder, manipulator, database people. I'm pretty, I've gotten pretty good at it being self-taught and like, I, I, I weirdly kind of enjoy it, I, but I have my, my uh, operations partner, Dave, is just like amazing at it and it makes me jealous. And I, I don't think I'll ever be on his level, but I plan on, on taking a class here soon and really trying to, trying to get better at it. But I, I also think it could be just such a powerful skill to have in decision making and, and analysis. It's just a neat skill to have. Yeah, being an Excel whiz is cool. Okay. Number two, what is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? Uh, this is the whole work-life balance 
thing that people try so hard to chase. Um, I, yeah, I, I, and look, I, I, I'm definitely guilty of having, having the balance be way too heavily towards work. I mean, I've got a five, a four and a one year old kid at home, a great wife. I'm very thankful for it. Um, so I, there, do, am I still trying to achieve some sort of balance? I still think about it, yes. But I, I think when you're early on, you're trying to get something going, you're trying to get your career going, you're trying to get a new business off the ground, you're trying to grow a business, trying to sit there, you're just, you're lying to yourself if you think there's going to be a balance. And that's probably not a popular opinion, but um, I, I still don't think, think anything replaces just rolling up your sleeves and, and working hard. Yeah. What I like to say is, rather than focus on that, I like to say that the reality in life, if you want to be successful at one thing, work, whatever, you need periods of intentional imbalance. You need to go all in on it. And if you don't go all in, don't expect success. You need to sometimes actually have an intentional imbalance. Balance is like you're kind of okay. At a lot of things. So I try to take like work and my family and I don't focus on anything else. It's like work and family. And I try to go all in on those two and, and get everything else out. And my intentional imbalances on those. And there come sacrifices with that along the way. But that's how I like to put it. I think it's a great way to look at it. I, 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 I actually, I agree with that. <laughs> okay. Last one. When's the last time you tried something for the first time? You know, I'm such a creature of habit that, um, gosh, this is a hard one. I, I'm a creature of habit. I hadn't tried some of the first time in a while. I guess that's kind of kind of sad. You kind of talk about the imbalance. I, I've, I really, I've done similar to you. I've thrown out most everything else other than uh, work and family. I am taking my kids to Disney World uh, here in a couple months, and that'll be the first time I've ever been there. So. I guess that I guess I got something coming up in the future. No one likes dealing with snow and ice, but wouldn't it be great to know that your commercial properties are being handled by a team who cares? U.S. Snow Pros teams have the skill and experience to ensure your properties receive the correct service on time. Not only can you rest assured your properties are being serviced, but they will also update you throughout the process, leaving nothing to wonder. Getting your employees and patrons in and out of your properties safely during winter weather can be challenging. Call U.S. Snow Pros at 609-332-3701 to see how they can help make a difference or send an email to mike at ussnowpros.com. Let's move on to the story. You want to talk about a, a, a dental practice that you were there from the start to the finish in Houston, Texas. Take us away. The mic's yours. All right. All right. So this story that I'm going to tell is, it's, it's pretty, uh, the, where the story ends up and the success this doctor has, that amount of success isn't necessarily typical of every single doctor that opens up a practice, but kind of the whole getting started is, is, is so typical that the, so we help this year. I don't know the exact number, but I'm going to guess we'll do 60 to 70 or 50 to 70, somewhere in there for sure. First time practice owners. 
And when these people are starting their practice, you know, they're typically 28 to 37 years old. They're, they're both male and female, you know, kind of 50, 50, um, you know what they care about? They they want to they want to appear to be successful and smart. They care about business and, and financial security. They there's something driving them to want to be their own boss. Um, and, and and in that age group, they also typically have young kids. And they're 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 a lot of our clients are first or second generation um, uh, Americans. Um, and like just failure is not an option. And their you know their fears and pain are are selecting a bad location that makes them unsuccessful. That's why they're with us. Um, they typically have somewhere between two hundred and $600,000 of school debt that they're also paying. And, but something is driving them to open their own practice. And so I'll never forget this. I got referred uh, to this pediatric dentist, actually. Um, she was uh, referred by a friend of hers who we had worked with. And she, she kind of fit all these things. Um, she had the school debt. Uh, she was about to get married and wanted to have a kid. Her, her deal was like, I got to get this practice open because I want to have a kid in like 18, 24 months. So she's like, I got to get this going so then I can start my family. Um, and so they come, come to me and we, uh, we get to work and we identify this awesome location um, in a, a kind of neighborhood strip. Uh, in a in a Houston suburb that was growing, and she also she was pretty confident herself. Was like, I think I'm going to do well. I want to take a little bigger space uh, than most of my friends take. So you know, most of these startup pediatric dentists will take 2,500, 3,000 square feet. She said she wanted to take 400,000. So challenge one is, um, you know, some of the big banks have very good lending programs for startup uh, uh, doctors but you kind of have to fit in this box. And it was like, all right, you're a startup pediatric dentist and your credit score is above 700. We'll give you $450,000 back then. Now it's like 600,000 just because costs have gone up. Um, and well, for her to take 4,000 feet, she really needed like $600,000. So I go, but she, keep in mind, she also got a couple hundred grand in school debt and, and, and uh, um, she also just bought a house. And then a lot of times these people, they don't necessarily have a ton of, of, of liquid cash in the bank either. Uh, so I went and found kind of this alternative lender that we use a lot. And I say alternative, it's not like they have some crazy high interest rate or something. They'll just kind of work on these a little bit outside the box deals um, to give her $650,000. So we get the lending done. So then we start negotiating the lease and it's a smaller strip center, high demand area. Sure enough, another pediatric dentist shows up wanting the spot. So we have to go beat that one out. And my client did it because she was taking 4,000 feet. And the other would only take 3,000. But And we ended up paying like maybe another buck in rent and taking 30 bucks a foot in TI allowance instead of 40. But she she believed in the spot. The numbers to the spot was going to be great. She believed in herself. And so she's, she opened up. And from day one, she just had patients just rushing through the door. I think her like, Third month, she did like 150k in revenue or something, um, which is amazing. Uh, but you know, we we talk about all of a sudden she's open. Well, in the meantime, in the middle there. So what are we doing? This is what people don't think about when they see these businesses pop up. So we get the money. So now she has to go 
find a contractor who can build it and an architect who can design it and uh, construction delays. So we go get the loan. Then you got to negotiate the letter of intent and negotiate the lease. And this is somebody that's never even, well, she had just bought a house, but like this process and then the build out for these, these doctors um, is complicated and expensive. So Back then, during that time, her build-out was probably $95-ish dollars a square foot. Nowadays, it's up to 120 bucks a foot. So they're investing tons of money, complicated construction. Sure enough, on this deal, I, I clearly remember something happened with the electrical panel on the building, and all of a sudden, they didn't have 400 amps that she needed to run her office. But luckily, we had negotiated a really good lease for her using our team of good attorneys that focus on medical and had a good medical contractor review it. And we'd had warranted in the lease that she would have 400 amps of electricity. And so the landlord ended up having to cover that cost, but it delayed things for weeks. And this is all while she's trying to order equipment, right? So you, you walk into these, these spaces, you don't realize like there's, you know, a few hundred grand of equipment in there to start out with that you have to choose from like 50 different options and they do have great dealers that can help you choose and help you get there, get it installed. But there's seven dealers. So you have to know which dealer to go with. So, you know, we're, we're very connected in that world. It can make, you know, good referrals to, to verified people that we've worked with. Um, and that's also all while she's still working, you know, two or three days a week at another practice to keep, keep income coming in the door. Um, so I, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really, you know, you see these little doctor's offices for these startups pop up in your neighborhood and you don't realize that that was like nine months of stress and work on these doctors trying to make 9,000 decisions. And if this doesn't go well, like they're going bankrupt, right? Like this, it's not like if this doesn't go well, I, I don't know what the alternative, but they're just defaulting on their loan and filing bankruptcy. So they've got everything all you know, four years that they worked extra hard in college for good grades, plus, you know, four to 10 years of additional medical dental training, uh, all wrapped up in this, this practice. Um, and so I just have immense respect, uh, for them for, for doing this. Um, it's, it's, it's not a, not a given. That being said, in eight years of doing this, we've had one client fail, um, so if you choose the right location and get the right team around you, uh, your chance of, of success is is phenomenal. Um, and actually, to wrap up that story, we talked about the PE firms rolling up practices. This practice has now done amazing. Um, and... Uh, the docs had a few kids since then and wants to spend more time at home and less time managing uh, staff and payroll and chasing insurance companies and everything that comes along with owning a practice. And she has actually come to us and we've been working to partner her practice into a PE backed entity. Uh, and she is getting paid many millions of dollars tomorrow. So she went from just trying to start a practice to making many, many millions of dollars. Um, and she is going to be able to keep, she's going to roll some of that purchase price into this PE back deal and it can, it will grow. Uh, 
uh, in this transaction. She's going to keep getting to work there. They're going to help her hire an associate and she's going to get to spend more time with her husband and kids. Uh, it's just been an awesome story. Kudos. That's amazing. So there's a lot there. Got a bunch of questions. So, oh, good. <clears throat> got a bunch of questions. So there's a lot there. That was a great story. Uh, kudos to her. I love that she's still has a job. She's going to be working there. They're going to, you're going to pay her a good salary. She's going to be able to spend more time with her kids. She probably got some cash out the door that she gets the pocket and some cash where she's still owning the business. And if they grow it, she'll hopefully be able to do that. Uh, you know, she'll participate in those profits. What a win-win for her. So a couple questions. Like pediatric dentistry. How? I know on the traditional retail side, what are some of the... You just mentioned good location. What are some of the good analytics and research that goes in to decide that this is a good location? Outside of the fundamental real estate stuff, what are the what are the the healthcare stuff? Um, you know, we do look at the insurance mix, the payer mix. So you, we have data where you can look in an area and, and figure out, hey, these people on commercial insurance versus government, which typically ties to incomes, right? Um, but not always. Sometimes there's some lower income areas. You know, I can think of like an area east of Houston where there's just a ton of like blue collar workers at these big oil companies that don't make a ton of money, but they got great insurance. Right. Um, and so there's the payer mix. I mean, my big belief and it's no big surprise is just, Hey, how much population is there? Is it growing? And what's the ratio, whether it's a pediatric dentist or a dermatologist or an orthopedic surgeon or plastic to, to the population, like where is there an actual need? Yeah. Um, so, so what about one of the areas I think I'm curious about is competition. What are, you know, at, when do you say like, ah, this, this is a little bit oversaturated. I know healthcare has got a lot of runway and there's so much, it's like, doesn't feel like it could get oversaturated, but. Well, no, it definitely can. Uh, I mean, it, it depends on the specialty type, what, what type of doctor it is. And it depends on, if there are referrals. So like if you take a, I'll go back to the pediatric dentist. Like I like to see one per 4,000 kids, 14 and under in a, in a, in a capture area. Um, but if you go like a uh, dermatologist, you might look for uh, w- one dermatologist for every like 10,000 people in an area, but that could also change. It could be a little less if there's like, a ton of family physicians that could be referrals um, to them, you know? So you're, you're, but we, that's one really neat thing we've developed is ways to map all these providers out and really get heat maps going based on different uh, ratios. Um, And so like an orthodontist, you know, you might look and see that, Hey, is there, there might be a couple orthodontists right there, but if there are like 70 dentists in that capture area, they're referring to orthodontists. Like you could have four more orthodontists, you know? Um, so there's, there's, there's all kinds of ratios we, we use. A couple more questions that are, are big questions. There's probably no right answers. I just want Thomas's opinion. <laughs> not in dental and just healthcare. Why are there not more like, Aspen and Pacific dentals out there that like grow given the demand for healthcare that grow like retail chains. Uh, 
so, so you're saying why in the healthcare side as opposed to dental are there not more or, big Yeah, exactly. Uh, mainly because once a group gets going, well, let's say they get to 5, 10, 15, 20 locations, normally a hospital system buys them. Like that's who their buyer is. You Makes know? sense. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's a lot of the, the reason. You're seeing it in physical therapy right now. Yeah. There, there's ATI. Then, yeah, ATI. They've they've been they've been rolling those out across the country. The Durham side, there's a huge PE consolidation going on there, but they're just they're not rebranding them or anything. That's the other thing. There, you, there are some groups out there that you just don't realize are groups, you know? They don't brand them the same. Which you see that in like Pacific Dental too, but um, but yeah, I think yeah, it's because the hospitals, yeah, Heartland, yeah. the hospitals uh, gobble up a lot of the healthcare. Uh, but like, there's or there's like like pain pain management's a big roll up going on right now. It's like there's a PE company that owns you know a couple hundred pain management clinics, um, but and that's the other thing. A lot of their stuff doesn't go to Novo, right? It goes more acquisition driven than than to Novo. Got it. All right. Well, that was good. That, that was a great story. It was really appreciate you answering the, the questions in the beginning at the end. I think the last thing I would ask you, I think because we've dealt with so much in pure retail and dealing with e-commerce, what's your take on telehealth and the future of telehealth? <laughs> we I've talked about that with a lot of, of doctors. I, I, other than, so I had an experience recently. I had an earache, right? So I'm a busy person. I, I was like, I'm just going to, I have a telehealth option within my Blue Cross Blue Shield or whatever. You know, you go call this telehealth guy and he's like, oh yeah, you probably have an ear infection. Let me just try to write you this like really benign antibiotic type thing because I'm too afraid to do anything without actually looking in your ear and so I, I do that i fill the prescription and within like a day or two i'm just like there's no way this is going to get better so then you go then i go into the urgent care um and what do you know it's cleared up in three days so like telehealth i don't yes there's a place for it i've also had good experiences with it but if you're actually like not feeling well or hurting like they'll only do so much through telehealth because they're for, I think they're afraid of liability things, right? So makes sense. Um, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna move it to the last part of the show. Call it retail wisdom. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I got three questions for you. Here we go. Question one. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Blockbuster. Just pure, pure sentimental. Though I spend probably more time, my wife wants to she, get on me and every Friday night spend like 30 minutes flipping around Netflix uh, trying to find something. Trying to find something. Every, I think yeah. every family's like <laughs> watching the trailers, going up, Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb on their phone, looking at the previews. Exactly. And my wife's like, it's 45 minutes. Are we going to watch anything? Like faster than Blockbuster. <laughs> Question two. What's the last thing over $20 you bought in a store? Mm. Ooh, once again, creature habit. Dress shirts. I buy it from the same store. What store? Pinto Ranch is what it's called. It's kind of a local Texas. Uh, I kind of wear these cowboy cut shirts that get about Pinto Ranch. Can't buy them anywhere else. Excellent. Finally, last question. If you and I were shopping at Target, me and you, Thomas, and I lost mm -hmm. you, 
what aisle would I find you in? Uh, you'd find me there in the uh, like pretzel Starbucks area because I'd be wanting to get out of there. I'd be sitting there having a Starbucks when you you, you walked around. But in all honesty, that, that, Target's one of those great stores. I always joke about it. It's like CVS. You know, you go in there playing. You spend eight. You spend like twenty five bucks. I feel like every time I go to Target, which is like three times a year, sitting with my wife, I think we're going to spend thirty bucks and we spend three hundred. You know, it's um, but yeah, I. I uh, probably just find me hanging out wondering while we were there excellent well listen thomas this has been great i really appreciate the time thanks so much yeah thanks for having me chris this is fun